Hi, everyone. Welcome to this online workshop on doing more with grant money. Hopefully you'll get something out of this and I'm keen that uh, we all share and participate. I'm not the fontable knowledge on this topic. and I'm sure you've all got experiences that are worth sharing. So uh, one thing that I would love if you could do is open up your mics and open up your cameras so that I can see you. It makes for a much better workshop from uh, my perspective and others can participate as well. Thanks, Kylie. Thanks, Deb. Um, great to see your faces. Uh, we are recording this. Um, you should have got that notification when we started. It will be going up on YouTube, which is we also on my website, and we'll turn this into a podcast as well. Uh, you will get an opportunity to see what goes, what is going live before it goes live. So there'll be an opportunity to ask for edits if that's what you'd like to happen. Hopefully you can see a little chicken with money. Give me a thumbs up if that's what you can see. Chicken with money. Awesome. Cool. So uh, just a few introductions before we get started. I can tend to talk quickly and mumble. So if you miss something that I said or I've spoken too quickly, please uh, open up your mic and say, Richard, repeat that or slow down. And I will definitely go back and do that. Um, we, if I'll trust you to manage your own mic. I won't turn anyone's mic generally I don't turn anyone's mic off so if there's noise in your background feel free to turn your mic off and on so that you can talk and whatnot and same with your video as well but like I said I prefer um, a more interactive um, presentation than one where you're just talking at you. Uh, in terms of a bit about me I started out as a um, PhD student at Monash University uh, I then turned my lab coat into a suit coat, and now I help researchers essentially answer the question of what next. Um, I'd love to know a little bit about you all, or you don't all have to share, but if anyone wants to share about what it is that they do, what they're interested in, um, why they're here, just open up your mic and talk. No one wants to share. I decided to join today because I received my first grant at the end of last year and I just want to know how to best get the most out of this money and, and how to use it um, wisely, I guess. Wisely, yeah. Congratulations on getting your first grant. Good work. Thanks. Uh, well, you were going to say something? Yes. So I've uh, recently joined Monash from, from the UK. Yep. Uh, I've had a couple of, of grants in the UK before arriving here, but they, I guess as, a, as an ECR, they were small scale. Um, yeah. So yeah, anything which allows me to make the most of, let's say some of the smaller grants I've been able to attract so far is, is useful. Yeah. Um, and I guess the other reason for joining was this particular course was, I guess, outside the box or something I've not seen before. So I was quite keen to, to see what you had to say, really. Okay, cool. Hopefully I can live up to the <laughs> expectations of, of that. Uh, one thing, we will finish on time. So if, if we, that's one thing that I will do. I'm not an academic like that. So anyone else want to introduce themselves or talk about why they're here or what they'd like to know? Cool, I'll take silence as nothing. Like I said, if you wanna speak, open up your mic and away you go. Um, the first thing that I would say in terms of grants and uh, making the most of grant money is stop farming unicorns. So what I mean by that is 
as researchers, we can tend to think that everything that we do needs to be unique or needs to be bespoke to our situation or our group or our lab. And as a result, we create all these little things that don't potentially scale or little things that we could have grabbed from someone else's lab that could have been pre-built, that could have been pre-purchased. And as a result, we're probably spending not just um, money, but probably time, a lot of time. And I'd, who, who knows how much their time is worth? Who puts a value? Oh, Kylie, you've got your hand up and no one else. What, what's your time worth, Kylie? Do you know? Oh, I know what it's worth in a dollar value for yep. what I get paid. Yeah, yeah. You know? Are you happy to share or not really? Or Oh, well, you know, level, level C at the university. Yeah. So, you know, and sometimes you can end up getting paid to do some pretty, um, you know, things like troubleshooting photocopier machines and filling out paperwork, you know, and stuff like that. So you're always yeah. looking for ways to get the most out of your time. Time, yeah. So I think the, the thing about, I guess, doing more with grant money is think about where you can take something that someone else might have done and, and turn it into something that you can use in your project. So that, I don't know, has anyone got examples where they've perhaps already done that? Like, you know, thought that they might start something and then realize someone's already done it and took that as, you know, the starting point for their work? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What have you done, Kylie? I'm just thinking about how we do, um, you know, I do a lot of evaluation research. And yes. so we, um, I've been using a data management um, group and so yep. they do all the background work with helping survey development and creating the database. Yeah. And it's something that you pay for and it sounds expensive, but I think it just saves you so much money in the long yeah. term. Yeah, that's a really yeah. good example. Um, certainly for my own business myself, um, I could potentially build a customer relationship management tool that would keep track of a whole bunch of stuff that I do with other people. Um, but instead, you know, I outsource that. I pay other people to do that. Um, the other thing that I think is um, we'll get onto this as well is, you know, what could other people do cheaper than you? Um, if you know how much your time is worth. So even if we just use the language of level C, could a level B academic do the same thing? Could a level A academic do the same thing? Um, I'm not one to say, could a PhD student do it? Because I don't think that we should be doing that. But other researchers definitely do have that approach of could a PhD student do it? So first point, stop farming unicorns. The next thing I think is um, what services are currently offered as platforms and how do you make use of those? And then if you do make use of them, have you ever thought about asking them how you could perhaps get involved in providing that service in order that you might get a discount back on its use? So um, there are, in biomedical research, there are lots of platforms about um, creation of reagents or testing samples. Um, Kylie's already talked about her um, data collection and data um, sharing tools. So, you know, you're obviously paying a fee for that. What could you offer back to them that might make them reduce their fee? or give you access to more samples or more people or more questions or more questionnaires, whatever it might be. Who's um, talked to any of their platforms about how ways that they can um, get involved and reduce costs? Who knows what I mean when I say platform? Some people? Oh, well, you've got this frown on your face. Yeah, I, I guess it depends on discipline. What, what yeah. in terms of platform, are you what, what, what discipline? Give me an example of what you do. 
Well, I guess, you know, I might, in some studies, we've used things like Qualtrics to collect data. Are you talking platform like that? Or are you yep. talking, yeah? That could be it. Or maybe, so the next example from that is, and I don't know whether, you, I'm pretty sure you can do this in Qualtrics, like share an actual survey. So who's already built a survey? You know, have they already asked these same questions um, of a different group, perhaps? Could you get them to share their survey with you so you don't have to spend the time building it or you don't have to spend the time um uh there's a name for it now I've forgotten validating it thank you i just had a mental blank there um that that could be it there could be other platforms statistical platforms so once you've got your data who does your statistical analysis you know um and if you know how can you get involved i know some universities have statistics as a service for researchers particularly around their qualitative data um so yeah those can be some of the things there are other platforms as well um that might be out there has anyone tried that has anyone spoken to a platform and said can i get involved with the platform as a way of reducing my access no yeah um the other thing that i have seen that relates to this is trialing uh equipment so i've seen at some universities and this again is in the biomedical field more but you know they'll trial a new um microscope for example and as a result it'll live in your lab or in your area and you'll have reduced access or you might not even pay anything to get access to the microscope but you'll have to allow other people into your lab or into your area to get access to the microscope because that's where the um, supplier would like to store their piece of equipment that they're showcasing to others has anyone done that before and that that can be a useful thing as well to reduce um, costs so think about ways you can get involved in services that you use as a way of reducing costs to access them. The next thing is to share space um, and to sublet space or to sublet from someone else. Does anyone, you know, who pays for space at the moment? Anyone? No one pays for space? Oh, cool. That's really unique, I think, but I'm seeing lots of shakes. I can't see everyone's screen, but let's assume every, the that most people don't pay for space. We can skip over this, but if you do end up paying for space, um, which I have seen at some universities where you have a notional space charge, maybe for some of you that might be paid for by your department or by your school, um, subletting space might be a way of reducing your costs. So you could, you know, potentially bump, uh, pair up with another researcher. If there's only one of you, you might, you know, share an office or share a lab or something like that. And I've definitely seen, um, groups share a lot of space at some universities as a way of reducing their cost as well. Um, who's ever tried negotiating their costs down? Who's actually tried to ask for a discount from the university? Nice. Oh, well, how'd it go? Well, well, not the university. It's certainly, yeah. um, yeah, consumables, certain things in their budget. Often yeah. try to, you know, but whether it's a bulk purchase or something like that. Um, yeah. How'd it go? Yeah, yeah, I guess it depends on which, which supplier. Some of the larger ones may just offer you discount instantly anyway, but then some of the sm smaller scale organizations are probably more difficult to kind of convince. Yeah. Um, so have you, did you get six, like you said, the bigger ones might be able to, did you end up successfully negotiating a lower price? Um, yes, but I guess probably not to, to the amount I wanted, but I guess something <laughs> helped, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, I would say, so, I've seen people negotiate prices down with the smaller companies. My approach would be, um, could you become a, a, um, 
a, a user of choice for them so that you might the you might get a discount for access but you might in return provide feedback about the way the system works or a way the product works or you might provide a case study back to them i've seen people get discounts based on that becoming like you know a partner so that when they want to showcase their their product or service out to others that they can you know, use you as an example of a user who is happy um and I know I have asked for discounts off my suppliers being exactly the same thing. And that's worked really well for me as well. Yeah. So I think asking for, don't be afraid to ask for discounts. Um, I've even seen not, notwithstanding all of you said you don't pay for space, but I've even seen at universities, researchers just ask their university for a change in the way the space charge is calculated. So that's worth considering as well. Um, I don't know who pays for phones. I'm not sure how many places now have you pay for phones, but I've seen times when internet sockets, phone sockets were all charged out at a notional rate. Um, so get rid of those if you don't need them. Get really frugal around that. Does anyone pay for phones currently? No. Um, now it's a bit more likely that you'll have to shop local anyway, but avoid travel costs. So I've seen a lot of people, the synchrotron is actually probably a good example. Um, in Australia, we've got a synchrotron um, down the road from me in Melbourne. Uh, I think the next closest synchrotron might be in Japan. And I've seen people use the Japanese synchrotron simply because it was um, where they started doing their work. And now they didn't want to shift to the Australian synchrotron and that potentially would increase costs for them. So you might find that obviously you've got flight costs, accommodation costs, um, but I've also seen people, you know, go, you know, again, using Victoria and Melbourne as an example, you know, I'm, you know, based in Clayton, say at Monash Uni, but head out all the way into the city to use infrastructure that might be at Melbourne when the same thing is potentially at Monash. So it's worth looking um, local for infrastructure. It'll save you time and money in terms of um, the access time and ac potentially ac the cost of getting out there. Um, who knows where to look for infrastructure that might be local? No idea. So um, there is not a massive database, but a growing database at a website called Aaron, A-R-I-N dot, I think it's dot org. So that's got a list of infrastructure, definitely well, well um, uh, indexed for Monash University. Um, but you don't have to be a Monash University person to search or find Monash University equipment. Uh, it also does a pretty good job of indexing the University of Melbourne equipment. Sorry, um, what was that site again? Aaron, A-R-I-N. A-R-I-N, okay, yeah. okay. Thanks. I think, oh, let me just jump on the web now. I, previously, it wasn't well indexed on Google, which is a bit of a failure on their part. Um, but I'll just check whether Aaron.org works. Yeah, so just aaron.org.au. I'll drop that into the chat. Thanks. No problem. That's a growing database. So um, most of these things that I'm talking about at the moment are about um, saving money. And we'll get on to ways that you could potentially make money. But while we're talking about Aaron, the aim of this, um, of Aaron is to um, 
share what might be considered communal infrastructure. So one of the things that I think is really useful as a researcher, if you have, let's say you've got a piece of equipment that others might want to access, you could potentially um, allow others to access it for a fee. Um, which might be as simple as um, the fees you have to clean it once a week, or it might be more complex and it might be um, you need to pay actually, you know, money out of your grant or whatever it might be to get access to your equipment. And so Aaron is not a bad place. If you have something that others might be interested in to have your equipment listed at, you'll need to work through your university to get your equipment listed on Aaron, but um, um, it's probably worth looking into. Um, the other thing that is, I think is really common is waste. There's massive amounts of waste, particularly in the biomedical sciences um, with equipment and reagents. And so ordering what you need and knowing what you need um, is a really important thing. Who knows precisely how much stuff they might need for an experiment? Who does, who does, wet, lab oh, who does the wet lab research and that it matters to them? Yeah. So, um, who's thought about trying to measure how much they might need for an experiment or know how many experiments they might get out of one bottle or one reagent. Yeah. I, my, my general approach, I think most often not, it's, it's a guesstimate, if you like, it can be precise with it. Um, yeah. But it's often enough to cover what you need and a bit of a surplus that you might be able to use across other projects. Other projects. Well. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think, I think it's okay to have that mindset, but then also realize that that surplus across other projects might actually end up becoming waste. It might, whatever, go past its use by. So, you know, the idea of knowing exactly how much you need and maybe you can buy less or maybe you can sell it or give it away to another lab and barter some other reagents that you might need back. I think getting far more precise around what we use is really important. I mean, if, and if our homes are anything to go by, um, you know, I think that we waste something like 30% of all the food we buy. So if we're doing exactly the same across our entire life, then you could imagine we could be wasting 30% of our reagents um, simply by not keeping good enough track of them. Um, uh, Arwell talked about this earlier. Who's grouped with other people to try and get a discount on access to equipment or infrastructure or reagents? Yep, Heather? How'd that go? You're on mute. Uh, it worked well. We have a number of different groups that use um, light sector reagents. And so, you know, yeah. one person buys them in bulk at the, yeah. you know, bulk pricing, and then we kind of all buy them off of them and off use them. them. Yeah. Yeah. At the unit, at the cheaper unit price. Great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a good way to go. Um, sometimes universities work out um, cheaper purchasing with, suppliers but sometimes they don't so it's always worth checking with your relevant sales rep whether or not you've got a bulk discount for some of the stuff that you're accessing um, and going back to that idea of asking a university for a discount just check whether your university is passing the discount on um, they may or may not pass it on they may clip the ticket on the way through and that might be a legitimate way of the university recovering its, its costs around you know that original negotiation or supporting the infrastructure um, but certainly grouping together is one way that you could um, save um, on cost as well. Who creates a budget beyond the grant application? No one. Who's got a home budget? Joanna, talk to me. Well, sort of. 
we put yep. we've sort of created a budget and we put an amount aside each month for expenses and, and general costs and use that pool of money yeah and how does that work you don't have to go into massive detail but how does that work to help you keep on track um well i think when you see your your pool of money going down that you've allocated for the month then you become a little bit more cautious about your spending towards the end of the month yeah um whereas if you just had all your money together you just keep spending forever <laughs> yeah yeah so in any particular reason why you've not thought to do the same thing for research or for your grants? Um, because I think um, for experiments, it's slightly different to a household budget where your costs are quite routine. In the lab, across three years, I've got quite a range of experiments that will mm -hmm. cost very different amounts of money. So yeah. I guess you'd need a budget, a different budget for almost every month. Yeah, you, you might do, or you could say, like, if you, how much do you trust the budget that you wrote in a grant? And we'll keep this confidential. You don't have to tell us that you don't trust it at all. No, I think we, we did it fairly accurately. Um, yeah. You know, we, we did, um, you know, allow a little extra just because we expected it to be cut. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I think the budget's okay, as, but it depends on whether the experiments we do are exactly what we planned, which is often not the case. Yes. And that's another one of my points about sticking to the plan or readjusting the plan. So I feel that researchers don't use budgets well enough and strongly enough. And I would say as a small business owner, I really saw that my experience of this shift, I was in the camp that Joanna was in, I had a kind of vague personal budget, no business budget. And cause I kind of thought, oh, everything's different. But as soon as I started implementing some structure around the way that I ran my business budget, and I think small businesses and research are really similar in lots of ways and running your own budget is one of them. Like the university, have they helped you at all, Joanna, with managing your budget? No. Yeah. I have no so that, idea what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> cool. One of the Which reasons is, I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So I think I, th I think setting up a budget is and doing it exactly like your household. So let's say you've got your grant is going for three years. And so that will notionally be a spend in year one, year two, year three. And there's probably some experiments that go horizontally across all years and some experiments that go vertically just for a month or two months or whatever it might be. So you might go, cool, let's separate my grant budget firstly into the idea that we might have different years. And generally speaking, money comes into your accounts monthly you won't get three years worth of funding all up front but what you can do is then separate it out and go cool that money that came in today some of that is actually about what i'm going to do in three months time so rather than keep it in my big pool let's move it to my other pool um, and that way when you look at your money you can go cool the money that i've got for now for today's experiments for this week's experiments is x but the, I've had this reserve money that I know that I can spend on bigger things in the future and make sure that there is that money in the future. So the reason that you might change your experiment down the line is not because you have a different amount of money than you expected, but because the results that you got didn't go the way you had originally intended. And I think that's quite okay, quite expected. Um, and there might be lots of different ways you can do this. Like there are known, like if we go back to this idea of, do we know how much material we need for what experiment, then we know how much it's going to cost. So we can say, if we're going to do three of those experiments, then we need to have three times that amount of money allocated in the reserve for that experiment. But we don't need more than that. So we can put the rest somewhere else so that we don't overspend or we're less tempted to overspend. 
And I would, I would definitely work closely with your finance team about setting all of this stuff up, work out what will work for you and then talk to them about how they, how they can help you make it work. They should be able to set you up cost centers and fund codes that are sub cost centers and fund codes. Do you know what I mean when I say that? Yep. That are underneath your overall grant budget. So you can allocate stuff out, which makes it easier for you to track, probably easier for them to report. Has anyone ever tried fine grain managing their budget other than to go, Oh, I've got a thousand dollars to spend this week. I'll just see what happens. I challenge you to give it a go. If it doesn't work, stop doing it. But if it does work, um, I think you'll find you'll save a fair bit of money by setting a budget and then putting stuff in place that means you can monitor it. So who monitors their budget? Who looks at their account dollars, whatever, weekly, monthly? Uh, well, how long do you look at your, how often do you look at your budget? Um, I'd, I'd, so project-wise, it's probably yeah. related to some form of gun chart of when something's going to happen in the project. Oh, yeah. Um, at home, it's probably more ad hoc and not as, as structured. It's kind of like, where's, where's all this money gone? So I kind of go back to, the, to check what we've been spending it on. Spent it on. Yeah, yeah. So I definitely feel maybe your personal budget at home could be improved by this. I'm, so I implement a technique that um, I learned from a guy called um, Chris. Now I can't remember his last name. Oh, that's Chris Freeman, his name is. Um, and basically he gets you to set up a really detailed budget. So here's everything in there. Like, you know, back in the days when people, when it was okay to smoke and drink, he had a line item for cigarettes and a line item for um, alcohol as well, all the way through to big things like insurance. And so he basically says all the stuff that's fixed that you need to live. Um, you need to set that aside first. Then all the stuff that's a bit more discretionary that the amount can adjust for you to live, put that in a different budget. Now in research, we probably don't have, that as much that flexible spend, a lot of it is fixed, but nonetheless, if you know that this experiment has to get conducted, then putting aside the money for that first is probably a good um, starting place for a budget. But definitely talk with your finance team that will help you and talk with your research post award team as well. Does anyone, everyone know what I mean when I say research post award team? No. So um, Joanna so in the, there's the research office will help you, identify grants, maybe help write them, certainly vet them before they get submitted. Then once you get um, assessed and then you get awarded the money, the team, it's called the post award team, i.e. after it's been awarded, will handle how the money comes into the university and how it gets farmed out back to the researchers and then how the university reports back to the NHMRC or the ARC or whoever it might be on a global level. And so that team is called the post award team and they will be able to help you set and manage some of your budgets as well in conjunction with finance. I didn't realize that you could have cost centers underneath cost centers. So you like, should, you, yeah, you might not be able to have cost center, but you should be able to have multiple fund codes. You should be able to, oh, ask fund to yeah, sorry. Yeah. You should be able to ask them to set that up. Different unis use those words slightly differently, but yeah, you definitely can ask for Oh, okay. That's cool. Um, Cause most, most of my costs are all just staffing related. So I could set up a fund like for each staff member and like make sure that their money for their position is not going to be touched by anything else. And that is perfect. So that that's one of my other things that I think it's a big bugbear of mine that staff are linked really tightly to grants. And if we can discouple 
that you can free your staff up to stop worrying about grants. But what you can also do is look at, well, I have all this money for staffing and rather than hire a casual to do something that I'm going to end up paying to work 30 hours a week, I could potentially pay a full-time staff member who then will give me another probably 20 hours because the casual is only going to work what they put in the timesheet whereas a permanent staff member might give you some extra, might give you some extra skills. So that's another, it it might not be a saving, but it might be a swapping out. So that's a perfect way of thinking about doing more with your grant money. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I could put money from different grants all into her account for her wage. Yeah. 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 I like that. Thanks. Work harder with your finance team to get them to do what you want. They are a service for you. Not the other way around. Um, who has documented the processes that they use in their research group lab, whatever it might be. So you've got your method, but there might be other processes. Who's documented those? Cause this is a really good thing. I reckon who, who does like around whatever it might be chasing up emails, chasing up people, writing grants. If you can systematize and process, make everything a, you know, um, defined process, then there's an order that things follow and steps don't get missed. You don't forget to allocate funding. You don't forget to order something. And as a result, you don't have this lost time. It also means you can start to cost things more effectively. How long does it actually take? So I'm going to use a real biomedical example here. So SDS page, um, it's a, you have to do a lot of stuff for that. You have to mix up a thing that's essentially like a gel then you have to put it into a, uh, a mold. Then you have to put some proteins in it. So that whole process takes time and effort. And it might take half a day to get to the point of actually starting to analyze your sample. If you know it's going to take half a day to do that, one person's time for half a day might be, if we go back to Kylie's example, $750 for half a day for a level C person. So how much does it cost, plus the reagents, how much does it cost to actually buy that thing ready to go so that Kylie can just pull it off the shelf, plug it in and go. Maybe it costs $500. So that's a saving of $250. Now it's not going to be cash in your pocket because there's going to be more outlay for that piece of kit, but now Kylie's got more time. So could Kylie do another experiment? Could Kylie run another, write another grant? So thinking about these things, knowing how much time it takes you to do stuff and the cost of that will be a really useful way of working out. Well, can I save money by actually buying prepaid or pre-purchased? But this won't work for everyone. There are cases where stopping buying prepaid, stopping buying pre-purchased will actually be cheaper and easier, particularly if you're not doing heaps and heaps of these kinds of things. Um, Automating things is really useful. Um, Automating responses to emails. If you're writing the same email over and over again, have you got templates for that? If you are contacting the same people over and over again, have you got templates for that? If you're doing the same survey over and over again, can you copy and paste that kind of stuff? All, all of that automation stuff. And is there an automated group um, or automated um, activity that you might be able to get access to somewhere? Who's automated stuff to save money? Who does things that are like, I don't know, repetitive that could be automated? We've automated some uh, reporting Oh, that's cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What did you automate? Uh, a, we send out site reports. So yep. just started reports to sites, um, giving them a comparison of 
um, I work with the registry. Yep. Giving them a comparison of their site's practice compared to the rest of the cohort. And um, we've just sort of slowly over time automated it more and more and it's yep. more efficient. Yeah. So you get lots of time back by doing that and also intellectual capacity. I presume there are people who would have been sending out those reports that whose time and effort and intellect could be much better spent on analysis rather than report writing or more data collection. Yeah. Um, Arwell mentioned before a Gantt chart, who plans their research other than when they write their grant? No one. Oh, Kylie. Yeah. And you're nodding as well. Um, Heather, you want to talk to me a bit about planning? Um, yeah, so we know we've got weeks long experiments or months long yeah. experiments going on in some cases, you know, we need to uh, kind of plan staff time around that, um, you know, when we might be able to fit other types of experiments in, yeah. in between the, the gaps that we have in the current ongoing work, things like that. Yeah. Does it, do you, oh, well, how do you plan yours? You mentioned a GAN chart. You want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, um, it's a bit of like a combination of a, a GAN chart and a shared calendar that we have okay. for the team. So it's, um, you know, every day we kind of have the tasks that we need to do for any number of experiments that we have going on. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, you know, depending on the, who's involved, sometimes those are assigned to people or sometimes, you know, they just need to be checked off by any of the, the staff members that are working on that type of, um, in that role. Yeah. Sorry, Arwell, you mentioned Gantt charts as well. How do you manage your experiments and planning for your research? Yeah, I think one thing you quickly realize when you get into management of grants is that the the Gantt chart that you designed at, let's say, project inception is probably not the one which will look like at the end of the project. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, multiple versions might be created throughout the project, but uh, I'll probably be honest in saying I don't look at it or adhere to it as, as much as I probably should do. Yeah. Has anyone tried to plan so that they can save money? Or only planned because the university said, or the grant said, what's your plan? I would definitely encourage you if you haven't got a plan for each of your grants to have something and then look at how, or experiments, I should say, and look at how your experiments or your research is from different programs and projects overlays each other. Because what, what I've found when I've helped other, you know, programs of research. So if you think of it, I presume everyone understands, but I'm going to define it anyway. So project is one bit of research. A program is several projects and a portfolio is several programs. So when I work with researchers, generally we talk about programs or portfolios of work and planning at the project level helps you build up, you know, those are all nested um, and planning at the, portfolio and program level allows you to work out well when are the pinch points going to be when will I actually run out of time when will I might need to hire an additional casual staff member because I've got 120 hours of work but I've only got um, two full-time staff or when will when will we run out of volunteers that we can recruit because we've you know asked them already to do a bunch of other things and we now need to recruit a whole new set or it could be almost anything. When will reagents run out? All of that stuff. If you plan on top of each other, you'll know when you're going to be busy and when you're going to be freer. And I think grant writing itself probably comes into that as well. And when are the, when are the busy times to write grants? 
when are you going to fit writing in journal articles and how are you going to make that work too? So planning all that stuff together allows you to make better use of the money that you might receive because you might say, Oh, I write this grant now because I've got too much on, but what happens if when that grant might get finally submitted or funded could mean you could have nothing on most people kind of intuitively know when that is, but knowing exactly when that is, is really useful. And then it also allows you to fit what ad hoc pro, programs might come into your uh, workflow as well. So I'd strongly encourage planning. The other thing that I would say is, um, and I don't know whether other people have heard of um, uh, Gantt charts before, but I would also consider looking at other types of project management that don't use Gantt charts. A popular current philosophy in IT is called um, agile project management. Um, if you haven't heard of that, I would strongly encourage you to look it up. It's much more akin to the way research is conducted than, um, say, using Gantt charts. Um, it's a lot. It's a lot more iterative style. So you do a little bit, revisit what you got, make changes, do a little bit again. Has anyone heard of agile project management before? No. Have a look into it. You'll still create plans that might go for a certain period, but it, agile fits far more closely in my mind to research than. Um, what's considered to be waterfall, which is where you get those Gantt charts or prints too, which is also very Gantt chart and process oriented. Um, another way you could potentially save or make money is considering whether you hire someone or you outsource or whether you outsource source your lab services to others. Has anyone tried to sell their lab services or their research services to a third party before? No? Does anyone think that they could? Maybe Heather, tell me you're kind of going back and forth there. Um, I guess we have a number of different researchers that kind of utilize the same mosquitoes that we grow. And so potentially, yeah. um, you know, we could charge that out, although it, then it, it requires a bit of a more service or a work requirement on our end to make sure that we can have those ready at any time. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, um, I think that's what, like, if you want to think about some other income sources or making, you know, not, this is not necessarily a case of making grant money go further, but, you know, getting new sources of income that might be worth considering, or um, maybe it's just you, you know, I don't know how one breeds mosquitoes other than have some stagnant water in your backyard, but um, you know, however that might work. I don't know whether you can control how many you get at once, but whether you can sell surplus mosquitoes, uh, I don't know. Um, we, we normally kind of rear a routine amount at a time, but, um, you know, potentially it wouldn't, we have certain uses for them. So any excess could be used for other experiments okay. that people might have going on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, sometimes we think we want to hire a researcher to do a particular task, but maybe the best case is to outsource that. So to ask another research lab to collaborate and do that piece of work and in exchange, they get to be named as authors on a research paper rather than get, getting paid the money to do the actual work. So that might be a way that you could save money. But now in the current climate, you might decide actually, you know what, I'd rather employ someone given you've got the opportunity or the money to do that um, with the impact of COVID. But there's certainly there are opportunities out there to reconsider the way that you might hire or outsource. So the next things I'll cover off, talk more about ways that you might be able to make money. So I think I already touched on this, this idea of sharing your toys. 
um, how can you share the equipment and resources that you have on a, in a fee-for-service way? Um, a lot of people might get a grant for a piece of equipment and then not be willing to share it with others. And I would encourage you to change that mindset and share it, but do it in a way that allows you to offset the cost of operations. Because I, I can't imagine that, I mean, obviously now we can't get access to research labs or get as much access as we want to. But you know, if you've got equipment or expertise, how could you share that to others in a fee-for-service kind of way? And and don't be afraid to ask for money for these things, particularly if you if money is more important to you than a publication. And that you know, you know what the currency is of the other researchers, and maybe for you, the currency that or the the money that you want to make it, or is a, related to a paper rather than income. Um, obviously, reduce, reuse, recycle. I think that's a really good point to make. But you know, who's accessing existing data sets? There are heaps and heaps and heaps of data sets now that you can get access to that might allow you to do you know some research on rather than collecting more data and potentially save you money there obviously you can't you know completely not do what they what your granting body said but um, perhaps go out and have a look for a data set that might already exist in your particular area um, and how you might analyze it in a new or different way um, banding together as a group. So, you know, if we take Heather's examples of mosquito breeding, um, maybe there's an upstream or downstream supplier that you could come together and create an overall service that then provides, I don't know, a model disease thing, or I'm not sure what, what upstream or downstream supplies might be useful there, but maybe you can sell mosquitoes with mosquito food, or I don't know, Heather, is there, like, how does it work for you in terms of you know, are there upstream and downstream people that you could band with to, to create a product or a service? Um, I mean, potentially, yeah, there are definitely um, some people that might want to do things with mosquitoes that we have no intention of or interest necessarily in doing ourselves, yeah. but they, you know, have an avenue for that. Yeah. And so, you know, this, so what happens in manufacturing a lot is, um, kind of the value add. So, you know, the idea of rather than selling milk, we're going to sell cheese. So you convert the milk into cheese and you sell cheese. So that's the kind of thing that I'm thinking about here that you might be able to do um, to band with someone else or to partner with someone else who can help, um, you know, create a better product or service that you might offer. Uh, I talked about this before about, you know, whether you build it yourself or whether you buy the flat pack or whether you make the furniture entirely from scratch. I think considering whether you, you might be able to build it for someone else. So maybe it's just as easy for you to conduct the experiment and maybe now again, fee-for-service is better for you than um, getting doing a collaboration. Um, I talked about saving money on travel, um, but maybe there are other people who are coming to your city or state and spending money. Maybe you can say to them, well, you know, could I do that bit of work for you and thus save them the travel money and ask them for the collaboration or, you know, ask them for uh, a fee for the work that you might do for them. And again, I've seen that work relatively well where people have swapped that out. And particularly now with COVID where people can't move and there could be additional staff capacity in the system because people have been laid off. Maybe there's an opportunity to um, do some fee-for-service stuff uh, in your local area. I talked about hiring and outsourcing. Um, that's basically everything that I wanted to cover. It's a big shopping list and we've got two minutes left. If you want to ask any questions or make any comments or maybe talk about how you have um, saved or stretched your grant funds. Um, it's, uh, it's not so much about um, grant funds, but um, 
the registry I work with, what we, we collect data on um, patients with multiple myeloma, how they're treated and um, their follow-up, what their outcomes are. And I guess our currency is our data. Yeah. Um, so we have industry partners who, um, you know, pay us to, to provide reports to them um, mm -hmm. and, you know, fund, see the benefit of the registry. And, um, you know, we have had sort of funding ongoing funding from them yeah. as well. Yeah. So just something to, sometimes your data might actually be a, um, uh, something that you can sort of leverage. Yeah, I totally agree with that. You might find, so the stuff that I've seen people do is doing quality assurance, quality of control for all the way from social services through to um, bench science. I've seen people provide um, fee for service in that quality assurance, quality control space. So, you know, if we're, again, I'm sorry to go back to the mosquitoes, Heather, but it just is stuck in my head. Um, you know, let's say another service is breeding mosquitoes, you might have expertise on how to set up a good lab or set up a good workflow. And so you could potentially consult on that rather than a model disease or a model system, but what it means to breed good quality mosquitoes. So there's thinking, assuming that someone won't buy your stuff because you haven't had demand for it previously doesn't mean that they won't um, do that. Cool. It is now 1.15. If you have any other questions or comments or want to work with me on saving money, spending money, setting up a budget, setting up project management, I'm happy to do that. Um, just get in touch. You've already got my details um, and um, I can... Um, you know, we can set up a meeting to have a chat about that. I'm running some coaching programs at the moment. If you're interested in, you know, meeting monthly and talking about these kinds of issues and resolving them over a year, um, definitely uh, write coaching or send me an email and we can talk about how that works for you. Um, we've also got a um, journal writing club as well. Start or just started. It's going to the end of the year. There'll probably be a few of these rolling throughout next year as well. But if you're interested in trying to get some journal articles written, we meet weekly, talk about the challenges you face, try to resolve them and aim to get your journal article written in three months. Um, that's everything that I wanted to cover. Any questions before we head off? No, thanks for your time. Enjoy ISO and uh, hopefully see you next week. Bye. Thanks. Thank you.